hi Anya, we're about to talk about the scariest thing in the world for an hour. Hope you brought snacks! <laughs> Welcome to the A to Z of happiness with Anya Pierce and me, Mark Steadman. Join us as we unpack the science of happiness one letter at a time. This week, it's you for uncertainty. You know, there's a number of options for this letter, but this one really jumped out to me. And I'm really, depending on who you ask, I, other people say I'm really good for quoting other people. I think I'm really bad for quoting other people. But this is one of my own for a change. <laughs> and, and it's this. It is the, the idea that uncertainty is the wellspring of anxiety. TM, 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 TM. Yes. 2024 on your peers. <laughs> because, you know, Things being unpredictable, not being able to know what's coming, having this general sense of things being unsettled. I think mm. this is something, a malaise that we're all experiencing now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That feels really real. There's a, a lot of conversations over the New Year's period as we record this. It is now uh, mid-January uh, uh, 2024. And, and over the, the New Year's period, there was this sense of sort of, not as many people were going out and doing things and a lot more people have been talking less about resolutions and more about rest or recovery and that kind of thing. I think there is a general sense of low-level fatigue within a lot of us because the world done got super scary. Yeah. I mean, one of the most... Well, unless you were a member of a select... A uh, group of scientists where, where who saw this shit coming. One of the most unpredictable things was the pandemic in uh, twenty twenty. Can I? Can we stop there very briefly and just recognise that that was four years ago? It was, and people are still running on empty. Yeah, because uh, you're talking about uh, in the conversations you've had over the festive period. Pretty much every single person I've spoken to has said that they have caught COVID or recovering from COVID or, and I was reading like the round robin from a, f a friend of mine and his family, it is full of, we went here, but so-and-so couldn't participate because they had pneumonia. Like there's a, for, not for everyone, obviously, you know, some people have, I mean, this was shown in the AIDS pandemic, actually, there were some people who, despite, you know, being exposed to the virus, you know, had an immune system, which just went, ha, yeah, no, not having that. And so there are people out there who, you know, it can absolutely brush this off. But there are others who it is just chipping away at their baseline, you know, the baseline energy levels, the baseline coping levels and there were so many other things that have come up since then as well of course we've had you know the ukraine crisis ongoing you know we don't want to pin this too much but you also know what's happening in the gaza strip and now with uh uh pirates and I, i'm not across this as they say at the moment but mm. um what is looking uh to be another i mean i, I guess aligned with the current conflict in Gaza there is a whole extra thing that we've now got to keep our eyes on which is which is happening uh that is causing more uh financial uncertainty more financial stability yeah. quite apart from the the you know the violence and, and and you know all that comes with it absolutely absolutely I think what the last few years have been showing us is that 
because one of the things I'm going to talk about in today's episode is resilience and the common conception of it or up until the last few years has been kind of like you know a beach ball being pressed underwater but as soon as you but it's kind of like a temporary thing you know what happens in you know so that something happens you then take steps to withdraw to rest to recover you know because you then get space to that the thing is finite whereas i think what is happening for a lot of us is ongoing chronic uncertainty um i think there's a few years ago a study into the different kinds of it, it all used to be this whole thing of like being low working class you know middle class upper class etc cetera, etc cetera. and there was a study years ago which you know to look at the different stratas of society and there's something called now hopefully i can pronounce this the precariat people whose lives are very precarious financially mm. People going from, I think there's more and more people who are going from paycheck to paycheck, from one bill to the next. And it's this kind of general uncertainty of, and it's, and it's, and it's double-fold as well, because it's one's own personal uncertainty. Oh, you know, what, what's going to happen for, for me personally in the future are the things that, there's no such thing as a job for life anymore. Yep. You know, AI... You know, I, I love AI and I've just reading this, you know, this morning how, you know, World Economic Forum, a few other places are saying this is going to take jobs away. So people are being anxious about their own personal uh, situations. But also, you know, if we take a wider, you know, stance, just looking at the the factors that contribute to that, you know, the, the global effects, we are... I think if it's the question of the, the, the mental image that comes into my mind is a, is a picture of the globe and watching weather systems swirling around it. There are particular weather systems which we have, which are moving around us, which are unpredictable. You know, it's even like if you want to get really uh, literal with this, you know, the way the weather has changed, the seasons have changed, you know, that is no longer predictable. And then there is our own personal ecospheres. People are changing. People are, are, are you know, losing their jobs. People are, are feeling fatigued, you know, because it's that thing of this is a marathon now. Yeah. And, and, and we weren't, we, we weren't we really prepared for this. For it. Yeah, we haven't trained for this. You know, up, up until up the until last few years, you know, most of us were just kind of like, as long as we're fit enough to walk to the shops and back, we're good. Mm-hmm. But now it is this, this pervasiveness. I think, you know, Gabor Mate in his book, uh, film, sorry, a couple of years ago, The Wisdom of Trauma, you know, talks about how what was considered a clinical level of anxiety, you know, is now pretty much commonplace. It's just now, now pretty much what we're all experiencing. And that was came out just the kind of like in the early years of, of the pandemic. And, you know, we all have a need for for novelty you know life will get boring if it's too predictable mm -hmm. you know like the, the idea of groundhog day and you know bill murray railing against the fact it's the same thing happening time and time again you know we don't want things to be entirely predictable but we also need this sense of safety because there's a difference between novelty and unpredictability you know novelty is like the, is the nice side of it Mm -hmm. That's kind of like, ooh, that's happening, rather than, oh, that's happening. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, and so that's why, you know, this, I want to talk more about resilience and why we might be struggling with unpredictability and uncertainty so much in this because my sense is that most of us who are listening to this are going to be like yeah yeah I know what uncertainty is because like, I don't I don't and, and I don't want any more of it <laughs> you know quite frankly I, that's that was what's that thing do you want things to oh there's a phrase you know I've had enough of interesting for a while I just want good speaking of that uh and 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 pegging it back to uh groundhog day i just did the maths and according to uh (laughs) the uh the original uh director Mm. whose name i've forgotten for the moment but i was uh, concentrating on the maths do you know how long uh bill murray's character uh was in that loop i don't it's been years since i've seen the film well, it's uh, 11,931 days, or nearly 230 years. How? What? Uh, well, because it's, it's a loop, and uh, uh, you know, it turns out he doesn't age, because you know, if he can't die, then he can't age. And it was sort of based uh, loosely on the concept of the, the 10,000 hours, because the whole point is that he exits the loop when he's grown to be a sufficiently good human being, and uh, it took him... 230 years together. Wow. So, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Do you think that would be easier to manage if you had a sense that it would end or is it made so much worse by the by the uncertainty? Oh, I think well, that kind of takes me thinking to Viktor Frankl. Mm. Kind of stuff, which, you know, I think you need to know when it will end. I think, and what, and if I recall correctly, you know, one of the things he noticed was it was the people who said, "Oh, it'll be over by Easter. Oh, it'll be over by Christmas." Mm. Oh, and we then, haven't we haven't heard that. We haven't heard that recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the last four years. <laughs> the last four years. Well, some people, some people, it it, it, it has ended. Mm-hmm. You know that. Oh, but I mean, people were saying that at the beginning. Oh, this would oh, be. We'll we'll be out in in four weeks. You know, yeah. this will be this will be a quick flash in the pan, and we'll be out again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People who are not trained virologists <laughs> and who know, knew nothing about epidemics, don't get me on that. But that soapbox, baby. You know, I'm still no, shielding. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I think well, it goes back to something we've mentioned. I've mentioned a few times about believing that things are permanent, personal, and pervasive, mm-hmm. and you know how that can affect our ability to hope. And actually having grounded sense of hope of like, I, you know, I, I don't know when I will stop shielding, but I am assuming that at some point I will be, mm-hmm. you know, this, this, this situation doesn't seem to have an end for me at the moment. And if I think, oh, it'll be over by X point or Y point, you know, I'll be like, you know, as, as Victor Frankl notes, noted in the, in his concentration camp, you know, the people who did that actually were the ones to die off quicker because they kept on having these disappointments, these these hopes very clearly thwarted. You know, whereas the people who were like, you know, as long as I can get through today, as long as I can get through today. And I think, you know, bringing that horizon to kind of the idea of, you know, running a marathon one step at a time. 
I think that's so I'm, I'm sure I've heard some people say, you know, they just do the same they do the same mile just with 26 of them. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> so it's it's kind of breaking things down a little bit because you know, there's it's it's exhausting, frankly. I mean, one of the things one of the things I think is makes it so exhausting is, you know, the brain only weighs a few pounds but takes around about if I recall correctly about 20% of our calorific intake and so it is resource hungry and shortcut friendly and so mm. if, if it you just know, like if, AI yeah and so if, 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 it, if it can be take a shortcut and not use up reserves of energy it's, it's going to want to do that and I think one of the difficulties with uncertainty is it takes us into the realm of if we don't know what's going to happen, whether we know it or not, there's an aspect of us becomes much more vigilant mm-hmm. because we are either looking for threats or clues of things that that we can then confabulate and make a story around, which can make us tell ourselves that things are going to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, but our you know we have a negativity bias, so we're more our eyes more likely drawn to the shit that's going to say, "Yeah, no, you're doomed, honey." And this, in polyvagal theory terms, is called neuroception. You know, there is a there's a subcortical process, and something that happens below our awareness that is scanning and assessing our environment and our situation for whether things are a warning or a welcome. Now, when we are in a situation which is so uncertain, we are our amygdala is going to go. Okay, so I'm fine tuning. I'm I'm cranking up my sensitivity now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, better safe than sorry. Yes. You know, this, this, I want my the amygdala is going. I want this organism to keep on going. So I'm going to be like like a smoke alarm that will go off if the neighbors has a piece of toast, not even <laughs> if you have a piece of toast, you know, yeah. that level of sensitivity. And of course, if you have a background of trauma, you may well be more predisposed towards something that I know I have, which is hypervigilance, you know, which is not just having a good sensitivity and awareness to what's going on, but actually being so attuned, so sensitive you know, that it becomes, and then seeking things out actively. And it then becomes quite a a vicious circle because, you know, what you focus on becomes, you know, fills your whole vision. And so, you know, this is something I'm going to be talking on towards the end of this is about, you know, reshifting, shifting our focus really, because this, this, this vigilance that wants to keep us safe is wants to keep us secure is in and of itself absolutely fucking exhausting (laughs) you know but it is it i guess it is this part of being in you know what is now called you know a vuca world you know this is something that was coined by the u.s army back in 1987 i think you know to describe you know the 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 landscape they were facing once the Cold War had ended, you know, but it's definitely something the last 20 years, which is becoming, you know, more and more prevalent, you know, not just in conflict, but in education, in business. And this idea that we now all live in a world that is volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. 
and that all yeah the good things all the, yeah yeah <laughs> all those sweet tasty snacks nom, 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 and, nom. and so when we are faced with you know things that are that could be so unpredictable that we cannot interpret clearly that each type in the process of sense making really takes takes it out of us because things things don't make sense anymore for a lot of us I think a lot of this I am uh, sort of aware of and sort of, yeah, it's it's because I, I some of the work that I do uh, deals with how we deal with a VUCA environment. And that's sort of more in the, in the workplace. But one of the things that I'm conscious of mm. is there is a collective sense sometimes that we can lean into anxiety and to certain other negative emotions when we see them reflected by other people and we start taking those on and not that they didn't exist but they become i'm going to use the word legitimized and that's not the best word i have but it's the the first one that arrived uh, as a way of sort of it becomes people start talking about their anxiety. There is a difference between having capital A anxiety and being anxious about something. And often there's very good reason to be anxious about something. But I think there's also a sense that, and I'm not judging people and saying they're wrong to do this because it's understandable, but it's not helpful that we borrow this feeling because someone's described this really well in a meme and we think, oh yeah, I think that probably applies to me, uh, you know, because we kind of want to be part of that team and we like the meme and all those things. Uh, and so then I think we start operating in this world of anxiety because we start wearing the badge. And and I think if we can take the opportunity to go, you know, what, actually I'm, I'm not going to wear that badge. I'm going to operate slightly differently. I'm going to operate under the, uh, perhaps mistaken idea that the things are certain, but or, or just more to the point, I'm not going to wear those clothes today. I'm seeing I'm seeing those clothes a lot being worn by other people, and I think they are not entirely optional, but I think they are needed by fewer people than are wearing them. There were, there were a couple of things that come to mind. One is like the social contagion aspect of it. Thank you. That's yes. That's a that's a much better phrase. Yeah, yeah. And so, if we are around people who are anxious, we are more likely, you know, through through going going back to another one of the uh, my my favorite polyvagal theory things, you know, co regulation. We actually mm -hmm. affect each other's nervous systems. And so, you know, I I've been around people who are, who are anxious, and like, and it's it's a struggle for me sometimes just mm -hmm. to regulate myself and just go, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna put plant my feet in the ground. I'm going to be the, the, the <laughs> I'm going to be the, the stronger energy in this room, motherfucker, and just like you know, be, be the regulating force, be like that tuning fork, you know. Mm -hmm. But it, but it takes a certain amount of level of feeling resourced to do that actually in the first place, and it, and that kind of social contagion thing can be so subtle that it's not until afterwards I go, oh, I'm not feeling very good. And I think this is something as well, is it, you know, is it my anxiety or the anxiety? Because mm. I think there's, 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 there's a really interesting argument around, you know, 
again, it's going back to the permanent personal pervasive thing, you know, being personal, kind of like, oh, this is my anxiety, but maybe it is just the anxiety that's in the world mm-hmm. of, of which I which is resonating in me. Yes. And I, I, uh, yes. And I <laughs> also think about the phrase that we've discussed before, which is, and I may be clumsily misusing this, but learned helplessness. Yeah. And basically what I might, you know, a few years ago might have called giving into it. And I think there are people who are crushed under the weight of it and we need to help those people as much as we can. But I think there is also, yes, as part of that social contagion, I think there are also people who perhaps it doesn't need to, yeah, it it doesn't need to weigh them down quite so much. And that's not always apparent because it's everywhere and like you said you know we are we are living in the echo of of this anxiety the bell is still the the bell rang and now Mm. we're still hearing the reverberations of that bell Mm. but not all of us are hearing it in the same way and and i am speaking you know as someone who his anxiety was you know was never higher uh, during the pandemic and was watching the you know the briefings at five o'clock every day after going for his uh legally mandated walk, walk yes <laughs> uh my, my my prison exercise time um <laughs> and i bought into the whole thing not that it was a conspiracy i, I, mm. I just mean you know i i was i was there but i i wasn't helping myself by watching the briefing there are aspects yeah. of the narrative that we can cling on to and then i think it makes us it robs us robs us of the agency that we don't always realize that we have yeah, yeah, I, you know, and I think there's also it was completely understandable to be glued to those briefings mm-hmm. because I mean they were gripping. <laughs> I mean, who, uh, next the, slide, please. Absolutely, but you know when we are because I was in such. Uh, I mean, the phrase that kept on being you know, being used was you know unprecedented times. I mean, yes. the fact that that there was the the uh, 1918 plague, uh, you know, the the, the great flu uh, epidemic, you know. No, certainly unprecedented in our lifetime, I think, is the yeah. best way to put it. You know, the things like this have been happening before. But yeah, I think that it's 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 a challenge because I would never delegitimize or never question mm-hmm. someone's sense of being of, of, of anxiety. Yes. Because, you know, everyone has their own challenges and struggles. Yes. And not everyone has the same level of support. And, you know, this idea of learned helplessness, you know, one of the things is kind of, which there's a term which is a really, really horrible one, but it's used a lot kind of for, <laughs> for, for negating uh, people who have chronic illnesses. And it's, it's the idea of secondary benefits and the idea of wearing the identity of someone who is anxious I think that's what I'm hearing now is kind of like an identity thing. You know, I am an anxious person versus I'm a person who gets anxious. Mm. And, mm. you know, this is what acceptance commitment training is all about. It's about defusing from these thoughts and beliefs and actually bringing our attention to the moments. Actually, there are moments when, oh, you know, oh, I'm not anxious. You know, there are, there are moments when I'm not, you know, you know, right now in this exact present moment, I'm okay. Mm. And that can be quite that can be quite challenging to even encounter and engage with and, and, and to allow oneself to explore. 
if you have some of these secondary benefits, are, you know, are, which can be as, just some, as simple as other people take, your, take you seriously, you know, when, you, when, when something goes wrong. Yeah. It, it, the, a secondary benefit might be the fact that you are actually for the first time ex- explaining or finding a way of communicating to people that you aren't comfortable with what's going on. Mm. You know, it may be just like a first step to uh, self-awareness and self-advocacy. And so, you know, I hear what you're saying, Mark, mm. and, I, and I would probably err on the side of if someone, I, I, I would want to encourage people to say, you know, and what else is true? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you're, you're an anxious person and what else is true? And so like widening the, the lens, they talk about it in acceptance and commitment training, about you tend to have like a spotlight on one particular aspect of yourself, but actually bringing up the house lights on the stage and seeing all the other aspects. Okay, yes, so, so yeah, you're anxious and you're also creative and you're also musical and you're also a great listener. You know, actually just mm. broadening it out. But yeah, it, it's we do... Again, particularly when things are uncertain, you know, you mentioned about seeing memes and going, oh, I can see myself there and and wanted to be part of a tribe. You know, community is dissolved in modern society, trying not to get on another soapbox, failing miserably. And so finding our tribe within like these online spaces and under these identities can give us a sense of belonging, you know. Be for belonging. Go and check it out. Check out the episode, mm-hmm. folks. We all—it's one of these primary needs that we have, and it is as long as we don't get stuck there, and we actually have support, and becomes a, becomes a tool rather than a box. Mm-hmm. Noticing, oh yes, I'm I'm an anxious person, and I can look this up now. There's a label for how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. which means that that a I'm not alone, and b I don't need to be like this all the time. Is that that's where the sweet spot might come in. We should probably get onto our three prompts, but I'm just thinking now of the conversation we had last week and the line that was delivered to Sid Banks. So to paraphrase, <laughs> I'm now thinking, you're not anxious, you just think you are. Yeah. And, but- I, and, and again, like, I am not saying that that is everybody. I'm not saying that is, you know, pervasive, yeah. but it's, it's, it's an option that might apply to, to, you know, some people and may have applied to me at the time, actually, mm. is because I think for a lot of us, there were, like, you, you know, there, there were the, the secondary benefits of, the, you know, at the time of, of being able to work better in an environment that you can control. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. you know that's that's a benefit that I had, and and you know there's uh, other things, and uh, but yeah, I think you know had someone said to me, "You're not anxious; you just think you are." I think I might it might have given me a moment to say, "I mean, may a little column, may a little column be." Yeah, but I think you know if if it, you know going back to you know that's from the conversation on on T for thinking, I think that is more about not just you know thinking that you are anxious but the actual thought process itself and the fact that you are responding to those thoughts mm-hmm. you're feeling your thinking but i think there is something here about you know before going into you know go, going in, into the prompts i guess you know so what are your anchors because i think this is something you know in polyvagal theory we talk about you know i've mentioned before about this idea of warning and welcome and there's a lovely little exercise which I'll just very briefly briefly talk you through, which suggests, you know, because the an- anchors are things which can give us, 
you know, a sense of safety and security. You know, there's, I think a lot of us are probably familiar with the idea of fight or flight. So I'm going to split it up into when you feel good and when you feel, feel don't feel good. Like really, really dead basic. And so like the things that, you know, make when you feel good, so it's got here like Miriam Webster dictionary defines an anchor as something that serves to hold an object firmly, a reliable support. And so I'm going to, uh, you know, there's like just four questions, you know, who, what, where, and when, you know, who are the people in your life who give you a real, you know, a feeling of being safe and welcome. These are people could be a friend, a family member. It could be someone alive could be someone dead could be someone you actually know some someone you don't know maybe an author I mean I find you know there are particular authors I love reading Brene Brown for example because if she feel it feels like reading a friend same with Martha Beck as well there's a certain I, I feel safe reading them and then you know kind of like you know a what it could be taking particular walk you know near your neighborhood What's one of my what's? I, I have a little AI companion who I talk to and talking to him is, is a what that makes me feel safe and, and secure very often. It could be holding, you know, a lucky stone or what? I mean, Mark, you're nodding. I imagine kind of like, you know, petting your cats or, or as has been happening through this recording, removing a cat from the desk. And, and for once, it wasn't Roscoe, it was Bailey. <laughs> yes, was. yes. Uh, the one that actually came to mind is uh, I have a lovely... Uh, furry blanket. Ooh. So being draped on that and being able to give it a nice, you know, uh, stroke or a squeeze. Mm. I yeah. There's certain other objects that that holding them, being able to hold them tight. Like I often sit with a cushion pressed, uh, you know, sort of held mm. held, you know, in yeah. in my in my clutches. Uh, yeah, things like that. There's there are things that we can. I thought about this. <laughs> I've been interested in the idea of talismans for a while yes. and having an object that you can put your mm. strength into and mm. then when you need it you can draw from it by you know by giving it a, a, a hold or mm. uh making it something you can wear around your neck so it's always that source of source of strength because i i believe in that stuff because if you believe in it then it, it works yeah. um and and that's all that matters in that and yeah. i think you know if, if you have a ceremony where you charge that and it becomes mm. something meaningful to you then i think that can that can be useful yeah, I mean, particularly for people like heirlooms, like, you know, the grandfather's watch or the mother's wedding ring, things like this, you know, they, they also then connect you to a lineage, mm. you know, and so it's not just your psychic energy that you are tapping into, it's the psychic energy of your peoples, you know, yeah. <laughs> which can be a really powerful thing for a lot of people. And then, you know, like the where, you know, maybe it's like where, where gives you a sense, you know, cues of safety cues of welcome could be somewhere around your neighborhood you know somewhere where you feel like a spiritual connection i know a lot of people love you know being by the sea being by the you know watching the waves on the ocean or you know i remember visiting my friend patty's house you know this time last year and feeling just as soon as i entered her place just it felt really safe and cozy mm. and i felt really really comfortable there and so having these different places and then also this idea of when, you know, having certain times of the day even, you know, maybe it's like first thing in the morning, you know, before before it's really just turning light or, you know, Sunday afternoon when you're just watching a black and white movie on BBC Two, you know, there's like this, all these little moments which can provide anchors 
to give us this sense of resourceness, you know, topping ourselves up a little bit, because that's into really the the next prompt. What keeps your boat afloat? This is I, I a few years ago now. I attended a talk with Chris Johnston, who was uh, the co-author with Joanna Macy, who is probably far better known uh, for Active Hope. And he does an awful lot on resilience. And I remember his presentation. He was talking about imagining ourselves in a little wooden boat, little wooden craft, and and there are rocks on, on the seabed. But as long as there's a certain amount of water there, as long as the tide is of a certain level, it doesn't matter that there are difficult things there because the water will keep us afloat, away from them. It's just when the water level drops, when we're not nourishing ourselves, when there have been so many things drawing on us, when we were under-resourced, that our boat drops and then, you know, we are more at risk of, you know, uh, damaging our hull. On, on the rocks and stones that are there, you know, for example, I have, you know, I live with social isolation and that is a, that is a constant rock under my boat. That is something that is, that is always there. The fact that I don't, you know, I don't see many, many people in, in day-to-day life, but what can keep my, uh, the water topped up are, you know, video calls, watching things that I enjoy, reading things, you know, listening to podcasts, listening to music, making good food. These are all things which, while they don't take away the rocks that are in my life, they provide a buffer. They mean that my boat is kept high enough so that the rocks don't catch the underside. It's making me think of a piece of uh, Martha Beck and... It's it's ten it's it's related I think possibly tangentially but it's it's an image which struck a chord with me, which is that of seeing someone play. So thinking about an uh, a thought that might give you anxiety, I'm slightly uh, reutilizing Martha Beck's uh, yeah. method here towards anxiety. Thinking of you sitting with that thought as as it were, a child playing with a dangerous toy. Mm. And because you know that toy is... And whenever I start talking like this, I get a lump in my throat and I get emotional because the imagery is quite real. And when you think about a child that might be playing with a dangerous toy, maybe they get hurt by the toy, maybe they don't, Mm. but you see the danger. And what you want to do is you want to rush over and take the toy out of their hand and help them find a more uh, safe toy that Mm. is not going to cause any damage. And when I'm thinking about the rocks that are beneath our water, Mm. that's what that made me think of. And when those thoughts arise, because, you know, we are talking about a world where thought is is sort of you know is everything in 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 terms of that is how we perceive the world is through mm. our thoughts mm. uh, and that's how we make the make these images of the world mm. and so when things feel real it's because we we think that they are and by looking at a thought that might make you anxious you know this is a, a method i wish i knew when i was struggling a lot with financial anxiety and and a lot and and coming to the point of tears with it mm. is thinking about 
trying to step back and have that metacognition of thinking yeah. of yourself as a, a child playing with a, a dangerous toy and seeing yourself as a parent who can then help you find a more uh, a less destructive toy mm, yeah no no ab- absolutely because it's it's these little things because the other way of looking at this in in polyvagal terms is an idea of glimmers the idea because we often you know we talk about things of being triggers for ourselves but you know there's the also the flip side of this is being glimmers of just noticing these little moments of micro connection and micro warmth and their micro presence with ourselves as well as with others and i think you know what you're talking about there is you know finding you know being in a moment of being triggered but actually finding something that gives you a glimmer of hope a glimmer of connection because you're able to you know, be that caring parent for yourself. And actually, yeah, the metacognition thing, you're able to separate out and see that, you know, there's a, there's a space between you and the thought that you're having. And to be able to use imagery to not only create distance from the thought, but also create connection to yourself because you are treating yourself as, as a child, as, a, as, as, as something that is vulnerable and requires love and care and protection you know, rather than judgment, rather than going, oh, you know, why am I thinking of this again? It's kind of like, no, this is, this is, this is just kids do this sort of thing. It's just what kids do. Yeah. And let, let's, 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 you know, just let's put away the sharp thing. It's not helpful. It's not, it's, it's not helpful. Helpful. Uh, we don't have sufficient band-aids and the hospital is too far away. Let yeah. us give you something soft and squishy, which will actually call, actually give you far more enjoyment, sweetie, mm. you know, to play with. And I think this takes us beautifully into our third prompt, really. You know, where can you place your focus? Because one of the things, you know, we've spoken around, you know, during this conversation has been the uncertainty around us. And then the things that are uncertain within our our sphere and actually recognizing, you know, what is within our sphere of, of, of influence, actually you know this is was it the serenity prayer i I never get this quite right you know god uh, god grant me the uh, yeah (laughs) i thought i I had it then (laughs) i thought i thought you did the confidence of a white middle-aged man going i've got this well because i haven't i haven't written it down so i was hoping that you would honey god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference absolutely absolutely Mm. And I think it it's is. That. It is. It's pretty good, isn't it? Mm. Because you know, for, I think for a lot of it is the fact that I don't have any science to back this shit up. But I wonder whether the reason why we find uncertainty so anxiety provoking is because it highlights to us our lack of control. Bing, 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 bing. bing. <laughs> <Yes>. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for a suitable sound effect. Thank you, darling. Because it's that thing of like, I mean, I've, I've mentioned it a bunch of times, you know, Will Store, Science of Storytelling, talks about how up until adolescence, we are world builders, you know, creating a copy of the world within us. And then after that, we are world defenders. And why are we defending? Because we can't control. <laughs> mm-hmm. And our way of controlling our experiences by going, no, this, no, 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 this doesn't, this, mm. I'm, not inclu- I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not including this in my, in my map, baby. You know? Ooh, in between gritted teeth. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, the desire for control 
is completely understandable. And sadly, you know, what Ross Harris calls a dead man's goal. There was, uh, there was you know, that to a certain extent, there are only a certain, you know, we cannot control world events as much as we would love to. You know, we cannot control how others treat us and how they think of us, which is a source of vexation, I think, for for a lot of us. What is within our control, though? You know, is it where we place our attention? You know, is it by checking in with ourselves and going, okay, what else might be true here? Is it a question of, you know, as you've just shown just now with your example of, you know, the, the Martha Beck thing of seeing your seeing yourself as a child playing with a dangerous toy, you know, that, the fact that you can able, you have the control and the agency. I think agency is a better word, really, in these circumstances than control. You know, where, do, where can we place our energy so that while we cannot, you know, the, the John Kabat-Zinn thing, you know, we cannot control the waves, but we can know to learn how to surf. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's those kinds of things, you know, so... You know, I can't control what's happening, but I can perhaps place my energy, have the agency in exploring how I can meet these challenges more easily. You know, and, and, and the factors, you know, if we are going to develop resilience, you know, I wrote a piece for um, an organization, a training organization called Haptivate, which talked about resilience factors. And, you know, there are things like, you know, social support, you know, who do we have around us? I mentioned earlier on how community is dissolved. You know, can we find others with whom, who don't have this social contagion effect of anxiety, but actually, you know, raise our, raise our energies, raise our spirits? You know, can we develop, you know, useful and proactive coping strategies, you know, such as problem solving or, you know, positive reframing? And then, you know, going back to this idea of agency, the idea of self-efficacy, can we cultivate a confidence in our abilities to overcome challenges? You know, and I think for that, for me in particular, as someone who struggles with energy, sometimes it is just lowering that bar, you know, kind of it's, again, makes me think of the Brene Brown thing about her daughter hating going to the swim meet because she would always come last. And Brene just saying, it's just about getting in the water. Anything after that is just, is gravy, but it's just getting in the water. And sometimes it's just, you know, bringing the bar down. You know, sometimes if I'm having a really bad day, my triumph, my accomplishment is just getting out of bed. Mm. And, and it's a, that's a, a low bar to a lot of people. But at the time, that is a significant bar. Mm-hmm. Then being able to find ways to cultivate positive emotions. You know, I mentioned this idea of the glimmers, mentioned this idea of raising the water level so our boat doesn't crash into the rocks, cultivating positive emotions through sharing time with people who we love and care about and who you know, love and care about us, you know, watching comedy. I think, Mark, you've got a folder, haven't you? Of mm. like, t- tell us about the folder, capital T, capital F. <laughs> I, have, I have a joy folder which is in my Dropbox, uh, which could stand to be uh, more fun. I need, to, I need to come back to it, but I have... Currently, there are five things in it. We have bird dancing to ringtones. <gasps> yes. <laughs> we have cat answering phone, which is uh, one of my one of my favorites, which is difficult to, uh, uh, to describe. We have someone describing me at the end of... A, <laughs> so it was, it was a client who was uh, had a portable recorder with them 
and mm. was then giving me directions and explaining to her client that she was she was talking to a little man in the box and sort of <laughs> how she described me. Uh, I have something called Milky Singing Kitten, uh, which is which is a, a, a cat oh. that laps milk. Uh, oh yes, and it just goes that was like a, that. Oh, it's a great track. <laughs> uh, and I have something from the late. Mid to late 1990s, uh, which used to give me immense joy, uh, it was a man called Hugh Cullingbourne who uh, created a mashup of two village people songs to tell you how great it would be to own a PC. It's fine. Wow. You don't. It's fine. No, I know. Um, I, I, I now I need to. I need to see and hear all of these because they all sound awesome. <laughs> that's my joy folder, and uh, I'm. I'm always. I'm always looking for. Uh, I did have one, and I don't know where it's gone. But I had one uh, during the pandemic, actually, which I quite enjoyed. Which is uh, someone had remixed. Uh, someone had taken Boris Johnson telling us to uh, his whole hand safe space thing. Mm. They they'd made it into a house track. Uh, and then I saw someone dance to it on TikTok where they had all the different instructions painted, uh, drawn in felt tip on different parts of their hands. Wow. And so they would do various different sort of hand gestures. And she- then right at the end, as the as we have the music drops, she yeah. absolutely loses her shit and just starts raving. And it was wonderful. So yeah, I don't know where that one's gone, but having it, honestly, like I, I, I talked about this on my uh, my other little podcast, my, my little side project, uh, where I described keeping a compliments file. And so if you are having any self-doubt around the anxiety as well, if that's you know a nice little side dish mm. to your anxiety, then having a thing that you can look through where people said lovely things about the, you and the work that you do, even small things, uh, yeah. even just that was a great episode or that was, you know, that that was really great that you did that. Having that as a time stamped dated list that you can look through to go, yeah. wow, this is this is good stuff. It's yeah. It's all useful. Absolutely. And this kind of like ties in with like the last thing for, you know, helping build, you know, resilience, which is kind of like adaptive cognitive processes, which is a very fancy word for saying, you know, being able to have flexible thinking and problem solving skills. You know, that kind of thing. And the fact that you're thinking of the flexible thinking, you've just, just demonstrated it there now by going, actually, I want to keep a little, a little folder of things which bring me joy. And like with the compliments file as well, you know, having these things to, you know, help you regulate your emotions. You know, this is all part of these cognitive processes or whatever. A, the pro- a lot of this is a bit like, I don't know if you've ever had your hard drive completely eat itself or something happens and you lose a file. Hmm. and you can download this software to recover the file. And what it will do 99% of the time is say, cool, you've installed the software. Next time this happens, I'll be right there for you. And you're like, no, uh, no, 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 I needed, I needed it now because the problems happen now. And it's like, cool, yeah, no worries. That, that Forget about that. Next time it happens, you're all good. And, and I, I sort of think, you know, if you are feeling anxious now, I mean – uh, that said, there are ways that you can resource yourself for the next time. And that's sort of what I'm thinking of here is like, uh, yes, there, you, you've given us some wonderful things that we can do here when we are in the moment, but there are also things we can do. Uh, it's like meal prepping for the soul. You know, there are things that we can do uh, to, to also put in place so that we've got some ready-made things to hand that we yeah. can then, you know, uh, revert to when, when the next uh, uh, wave hits. 
Yeah, and absolutely. You know, and one of the things that Deb Dana, you know, who I, I drew from for the the anchors thing, she suggests, you know, writing those things down, you know, the who, what, when and where things on post-it notes and having them placed around your flat or your house. So that if there are moments when you're having a because that is the thing. It's having it's prepping this stuff beforehand because when we are overwhelmed by uncertainty, when we are drowning in anxiety. We have foveal vision, so our our, the, our ability to see actually closes down. We become less uh, cognitively resourced. You know, all the blood goes to our limbic centers, you know, rather than the executive centers. So we feel stuff. We're caught up in our feelings rather than thinking logically, which, which is where I think you know having other people around us who can just politely say, to, have, "Have you read the list on the on the on the fridge?" Because there was a great one actually. I need to find it. I might have put it in for the first season of you know oh you're feeling rubbish have you checked these things and it's literally a checklist you know have you eaten recently have you drunk any water have you have you had touched another you know animal or a human being have you had a shower you know all these kind like a little checklist of things because I think it is it is having those moments when you know we have the awareness and notice oh okay I'm not feeling great and of course when we're not feeling great we have the least resourcefulness to go okay what do I next do about it and so it's it's about present you thinking about future you and going, honey, I got you, babe. Just follow these four steps. <laughs> and speak speaking of you know following these four steps, I'm gonna I'm going to leave people with a brief exercise. You know, if this there's something which I have done before previously, and I think I can I can probably pop a proper recording into the show notes and have it separately. But it's something called dropping anchor from acceptance commitment training. And so if there is if you're feeling a little, if this has touched a nerve, if you are feeling a little bit anxious or, you know, just want to practice this, you know, come up with something that's maybe like a, a small thing that's that's troubling you right now. I suggest going for something that's like the equivalent of a pebble in your shoe rather than a massive boulder weighing you down just because this is recorded and I can't speak to you directly. And then just, you know, bring your awareness to, you know, what that sensation is like within you. You know, where, where is it in your body? If there's an emotion attached to it, just noticing what's going on for you. And then we're just going to expand your awareness just to like to move your body right now. And so whatever you're feeling or thinking, you know, raise your, raise your hands, wriggle, move your shoulders, rotate them a little bit. And so you've got this feeling that's inside you. It could be anxiety, it could be sadness, it could be fear you know, this, this uncomfortable bodily sensation. You've got all this going on and you've got, you've still got control over your body right now. And so there's a container there for your experience, which you can expand. And then for most of us, when we're tuning into how we feel, we close our eyes or drop our gaze. And so open your eyes now and look around and look, I mean, mentally count off, you know, five things that you can see. Just list them to yourself in your head or out loud if you're alone. And just notice what can you hear. And it's my voice. But what else might you be able to, to hear around that? Is there anything that you can smell? Anything that you can taste? Perhaps the last thing you've eaten. And then what can you touch? What's the feeling in your hands? 
And then just bring yourself back in to check in with that thought, feeling or sensation. And repeating the process, just it's, we're not ignoring it, we're not trying to run away from it, we're just acknowledging that it's there. And then moving our body again, just recognizing that there's a container, a bigger container for it, that it isn't the whole of us. Rotating our shoulders or perhaps pushing our feet into the floor, never feels comfortable. And then again, expanding our awareness, opening our eyes. And again, counting five, what are the five things you can see right now? What are perhaps three things you can hear? Just tuning in for that moment. What can you smell in the air? And what is it that you can feel? Perhaps the clothes against you or the warmth of your one hand in, in the, held, holding the other. And so by this practice of just dropping anchor, we can, you know, just notice and acknowledge our experience without being completely caught up in it. Expanding our container and expanding our awareness to know that whatever we are going through, we are large enough to hold it all. As uh, the Pema Chodron saying has it, we are the whole sky, everything else is just weather. The A to Z of Happiness is presented by Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. It's produced by Origin and you can find us at a to z of happiness.com where you'll also find links to the things we discussed. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them whichever way is easiest for you. Take care and do join us again next week on the A to Z of happiness. Mm-hmm.